The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. So what's on your mind? What have you been thinking about? Let me ask it differently. For most of you, when you're thinking, you're probably worrying. So what have you been worrying about? You know, the word worry comes from an old German word that means to strangle or to choke. So what's been choking your energy and what's been strangling your faith? Let me guess, your job, debt, money, Probably most of us, when we worry, we worry about money problems and bills and how to keep what we have, how to keep the government's grubby paws off of it and how to keep the church's grubby paws off of it and then how to get what other people have, which is why you worry about keeping what you have because you know there's other people that want what you have and they want to take it from you and so there's a little bit of a struggle there, right? In fact, for some of you, that's your struggle with church because you come out and you're, maybe that's why you're joining us online, <laughs> because you're thinking, at least I don't have to give, uh, because you come out and then you worry that the church is going to try to get what you've worked really hard to get, and you're trying to figure out how to keep them from getting it. And then others of you, you you see what someone else has, and so you're worrying about how you can get that. And others of you, you, you're struggling just to get by on a daily basis, and so you you worry regularly how you're just going to survive by paying the bills you have in front of you, and how you're going to pay last month's bills and the bills from last year because they keep piling up. And the reality is, certainly as Americans, what we're most worried about, what we spend a lot of our time thinking about, is money. Now, this is not unique to those that are living in poverty. No, the reality is there's very little distinction between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to worry. They Worrying about what they have and what they want and how to keep what they have or get what they don't. Because regardless of what you have, it's never enough. In fact, it's a little bit like a trap. Because no matter what you ever get, you always need more in order to become more. Because most of us define our worth by our net worth and our value by our valuables. And so we're trapped in getting more so that we feel like we're worth more. And so we're kind of trapped in consuming. And certainly uh, Matthew, he would have known something about this. He had kind of a shady job. Matthew uh, lived 2,000 years ago and his job was to be a tax collector for the Roman Empire. Maybe that's a crummy job, but it's even worse when you think about what the Romans would do, which is they would go into a region, they would conquer the region, and then in order to keep the region occupied, meaning to maintain control, they would put an army there. Well, how do you pay for an army? So what they would do is they would raise up local people to rip off their own neighbors, tax collectors, to rip off their own neighbors in order to fund the army. And so Matthew was a Jewish man taking tax dollars from his fellow Jewish countrymen in order, in order to fund the Roman army that was occupying the Jewish nation. And so he wasn't exactly liked. And Jesus came along one day and saw Matthew, and he said, Matthew, why don't you come and follow me? And so as Matthew gave up his old way of living, and he began to follow Jesus. One day he, he hears Jesus teaching. And he, along with other students, 
asked Jesus a question. They were, in fact, it's the only time they ever asked Jesus to teach them how he did what he did. Now, you would think a tax collector who's pretty consumed with money, who's always skimming off the top, when he saw Jesus take a lunch and set and break that lunch, and then it feeds thousands of people, that might have been the moment that Matthew's like, Jesus, teach me how to do that, because I want more. Or, or maybe when Jesus told one of his friends, you know, go, go fishing, pull a fish out of the water, open it up, and you're going to find money. Enough money to pay all of our taxes. Matthew might, might have said, yeah, tell me how to go fishing and find lots of money in the mouth of a fish. There was a lot of moments that you certainly could have thought that Matthew and his friends would have been curious to learn how Jesus did what he did, but it was only really one time. And it was when Jesus was praying And Jesus' closest friends and followers, these disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so I'm going to just jump in. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew, later in life, records the life of Jesus. Imagine that. Here's a guy whose life was so radically turned around, so changed, that he not only wanted what Jesus had, and he wanted to learn how Jesus did what he did, but he wanted to truly give his life to following Jesus. And so later, Matthew writes out the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. It's recorded in the Bible. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to jump in and simply read this model prayer that Jesus offered to his friends and followers where he said this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he offers this line in prayer, Give us today our daily bread. And in a moment, in teaching us how to pray, not just teaching his friends, not just teaching the disciples, but teaching us how to pray, pray, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue, which is for you and I, it's never enough. And, and wanting more is a trap that we constantly live in because it's never enough. And so how do you get to the point where you can actually pray, give us today our daily bread? Well, just a few verses later, Jesus explains how you begin to do that. So he challenges us with this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will devote, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. And so Jesus is teaching and he's explaining about this idea of how we can get caught up in worrying. We can get so choked in our life and, and, and being strangled by the things that we're worrying about. And most of the time we're worrying about how we can get more. We have full closets, and yet we look into our closet and we say, I have nothing to wear. It's true, right? We, you, some of us, we have such full garages that you can't even pull your car in. Some of y'all, you have so much stuff that you've had to rent storage units in order to put half of your stuff in it, and you still are trying to find space for all the stuff you have. You have maxed out cabinets and maxed out credit cards and maxed out schedule and maxed out life. And we're not even to Thanksgiving yet. 
not even close to Christmas. We're just living maxed out lives. And so Jesus is teaching us how to pray, give us today our daily bread. And so he says, I don't want you worrying about all of the things that constantly choke and strangle us. Well, how do you do that? Well, let me, let me give you the principle that comes from this prayer. It's this. The key really is trust God's generosity. That's right. You, you, I could actually just stop right there. The key is to trust God's generosity. Well, how? By asking or praying for his provision every day. Right? Isn't that what we read? Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he says, give us today our daily bread. So if we're going to trust God's generosity... The way we're going to do that is by praying or asking for his provision every day. Here is our challenge. <laughs> it's a trap. We're consumed with consuming. It's never enough. No matter what you have or I have, we always want more because here's the deal. We fundamentally have bought into a lie that says I am what I have and I'm worth my net worth. And so what happens is there's a deep-rooted place in each one of us. It's not in our thinking, although it corrupts our thinking. It's not in our emotions, even though it corrupts our emotions. In the spiritual part of who you and I are, we have been broken. Our value system has been turned upside down and fractured. It tricks us. Our, the spirit part of us has been broken so that we have misplaced treasures. We begin to value our wants. We begin to believe that what we, what we think is important is really what we need most in order to feel important. So because we are spiritually broken, because we are spiritually corrupted, it begins to change how we think, and it tricks us into thinking wrongly. It, it corrupts our emotions so that we feel things we shouldn't feel. What, what do I mean? The, the way it breaks our emotions is this. We begin to feel like something feels good, which means we believe that it is good for us. You see the trick there? Just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. Some of y'all, you've maxed out credit cards because it felt good in that moment. And then later, you're like, I don't even know why I bought this. Some of you, you've, you've bought things that you never put on, that you never use. Some of you guys, you're, you too, you got tools that you've never even used. And you keep telling yourself, I'm going to eventually use that. Some of you have bedrooms in your house that no one's ever slept in. You don't even use. Why? Because we, we, we started to feel something and we got pulled into believing that if I have it, it will make me worth something. We, our priorities, not just our priorities, our value system has been flipped upside down. So we misplace our values by treasuring our treasures. And because we treasure our treasures, we believe that if I have more, I'm worth more. Well, the problem with the brokenness in our spirit is that it's what Jesus referred to as, refers to as sin. Sin is when our spirit is corrupted, and because our spirit is corrupted, we push away from God, and we pursue things we shouldn't pursue. We, we want what we shouldn't want. We believe that if it feels good, it is good for us, and so it gets us into trouble, and so we begin to live a life headed toward ruin because the end result of sin, of misplaced 
values is that we chase after things that are not truly what's worth living for. We reject God and we live a lifestyle of ruin that's headed toward ultimate ruin in eternal judgment. But God would not leave you and I headed in a life wasted and trapped in perpetual want. And so he intervened in our story. So Jesus is teaching, and in Matthew chapter six, so a little further down, he says this, but seek first his kingdom. So he's giving us a challenge. He goes, you wanna know how you get out of the choke and the stranglehold of worry and want? He said, seek seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. And what's interesting is that when Jesus is challenging his followers to seek his kingdom, he's giving a little hint. He goes, what you don't realize is that before you could ever seek God's kingdom, God was seeking you. You see, the thing thing is, we don't start by seeking God. We, before you were ever born, God was seeking you. God, you don't necessarily seek God's kingdom. God's kingdom has been seeking you from before you were born. God's kingdom has opened the doors wide and has welcomed you in. What happens is because we're trapped, we're tricked into believing that there's something better than God's kingdom. And so we go chasing after and knocking on wrong doors. And we get a little confused because we start to believe that we're the king of our own kingdom. What is God's kingdom? Anywhere where God is king. Well, let me ask you the question. So who is the king of your thinking? Who is the king of your emotions? Who's the king of your checkbook or your retirement account or your house or your wants or your your college fund or your, not college fund, your debt? Who's the king of how you parent and how you drive? And who's who's the king of the next car you're gonna get? or your fashion, who's the king? And so what Jesus is saying is seek first the kingdom of God. Seek allowing God to become the king of your life. Well, how do we do that? Well, first we acknowledge that God has been seeking us, that he's been pursuing us. And so we don't necessarily have to go chasing after God. What we do is we acknowledge that God has been chasing us and his kingdom doors have been opened wide to us and we simply turn from running from God and we simply turn toward God. How? We acknowledge that Jesus came to seek us. He left his kingdom in heaven to enter into a very broken, messed up world, a world trapped in want, in the worry of want and the pursuit of more. Jesus came to pursue us, to offer us his kingdom. But more than that, Jesus came to rescue us from the trap of sin. How did he do that? By taking our sin, our shame, our guilt, taking our eternal judgment on himself so that when Jesus died, he wasn't dying because he deserved to die. He was dying because we deserved to die. And so when he died, he absorbed our judgment, 
our eternal death sentence. He took on our shame and our guilt so that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven of your sins. But Jesus not only died, right? The power and the miracle of the story of Jesus is not that Jesus came and he died on a cross, but that there is an empty tomb because Jesus rose from the dead and in the power of his resurrection, he conquered the chokehold of sin. He freed us from the grip of that strangling sin in our life so that now our life isn't headed toward ruin and eternal judgment, but headed toward not just life on earth, but forever life. Okay, so if that's true, when we believe in Jesus by faith, sin forgiven. God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, comes into our spirit where we're given true life and eternal life where we're welcomed with doors open wide into the kingdom of God. Okay, follow me then. What that means is when I acknowledge that through faith in Jesus, I enter into the kingdom of God because his doors are flung open wide and through faith in him, I now have the open invitation and access to God's kingdom. Look, here's what that means. That means right now you are a child of the king. A king who rules above all kings. A kingdom that will reign forever and ever without end. God is the king eternal. God has all of the riches of eternity at his disposal. And you're in want? And you're sitting around worried about what you're going to get next? You're worried about how you're going to pay for the next vacation? How you're going to upgrade from the house you have to the one that you think is a little better? Meanwhile, you're a child of the king? A king who takes personal responsibility for every child that he welcomes through the doors uh, of his kingdom. I want you to hear this. God takes personal responsibility for each person who puts their faith in him. God has taken personal responsibility for you. Your needs, your desires, your dreams. God takes personal responsibility for the clothing you wear. God takes personal responsibility for the food that you eat. God's taken personal responsibility for your kids' next meal. God's taken personal responsibility for the clothes they're gonna wear. God's taken personal responsibility for your life and your job and your car and your home. I think at least we can start by saying, let's trust God's generosity. Would you take a moment, maybe just write that down. Say, I'm going to trust God's generosity. Here's the deal. You don't, you don't go to God in prayer and say, God, if you give me, then I'll trust. Prayer starts from a position of trust. It means I trust God's generosity. Listen to me carefully. When you go to God in prayer, you're not testing God. God, if you, then I. It's because you already did, I will. Because you've already sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and rise from the dead to forgive me of sin and give me new life, I will serve you and I will trust you no matter what. So prayer starts from a position of trust. Trust first. What are we trusting? We're trusting not in prayer, not in the power of prayer. We're trusting God's generosity. What Jesus is teaching when he says, when you go to God in prayer, our Father in heaven, and then he says, give us today our daily bread. We're leaning into the character of God. The character of God is that he is the greatest giver to ever give. 
God is both the giver and the gift. The gift is this, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to his kingdom. We have access to God himself. In God is all of the riches we ever need. In essence, God is more than enough. When I believe in Jesus by faith, I have all that I need. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that again. Because some of you, you're, you're gonna have a really hard time believing that. Because you've lived your life in the worry of want and the trap of more. So this goes against everything we've been taught to believe since we were little kids, is that when I believe in Jesus by faith, God is more than enough. He is the gift. He is the abundance. He is my satisfaction. If I have Jesus, I have all that I need. There's a uh, story of an old Puritan man who sat down to a dinner of bread and water, and he bowed his head, and he said, Jesus, I get Jesus and bread too. Some of you, maybe it's time to look at whatever's in front of you and say, I get all of God. I have faith in Jesus and, and I get pancakes and bacon for breakfast. Are you kidding me? I get, I get peanut butter and jelly. And I have Jesus. It's trusting God's generosity. It's trusting that God is good. Not not because of some little cliche that we're supposed to say. Listen to me very carefully. It's fundamentally believing that God is good, which means he knows what is good for us. He gives us what is for our ultimate good, and he is at work for his ultimate good. God is good. And God is generous. It means that I believe that the character of God is that he is not withholding any good thing from us. I believe that God is good and God is generous, which means God is not withholding any good thing from us. God is at work for us. God is generous to us. He kind of proved it by giving his one and only son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him. Meaning he didn't give Jesus because you and I were so valuable. We had already rejected him. We had turned our back on him. We were living in hatred toward God, and he gave his son generously in sacrificial death on our behalf to rescue us from the trap of more, to free us from the selfish sin that sabotages our life. That's how generous God is, which means that I start from the position in prayer at trusting that God is generous, which means he is at work to provide for me and protect me. He has constantly throughout history proven that he sacrifices on our behalf, that he is willing to serve us rather than demand us to give to him. It means that God is responding in generosity to us, even when we're not grateful for it. That means God is looking out for you. He's looking out for your needs. He's looking out for your life. He cares more for you than you even care for yourself. He loves your kids more than you do. He's he's been at work for your long-term good far longer than you have. He's been planning for your retirement before you were even born. Trust God's generosity, which means when I begin to trust God's generosity, that leads to the next step of being content in God's generosity. It means that if I trust that God is generous toward me, 
that I have to trust and be content in his generosity. Okay, let me unpack this for you. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, pray, give us today our daily bread. If you had bread today, if you had meals today, then God provided for you. Okay, this is gonna be really critical. Jesus, when he teaches, he says, give us today our daily bread. Which means if today you had a meal, and I know you did because we provided Cheez-Its and Chex Mix, coffee. For the morning, we provide, I don't know, little donuts or all kinds of little yummy food. So I know you at least had that. So if you had daily bread today, then you already have the answer to the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, which means you and I, the real issue is that we have to learn to be content in God's generosity. Okay, so there's a couple things here that I need to unpack for you. When he teaches us to pray, he says, give us today our daily bread, which means what I'm praying for is not tomorrow's daily bread and next week's daily bread and when I'm 65, daily bread, and if you're 65 from when you're 85, daily bread. It means I'm praying for today's daily bread, but not just mine, for our Daily bread. What an interesting statement Jesus is teaching us to pray. It means that when I go to God in prayer, I am not just looking out for my needs, but looking out for my community's needs, my family's needs, our neighborhood's needs, the needs of our nation. I am praying for our daily bread. God, would you provide for our daily bread? It means that I have to see beyond my wants to the needs of my neighbor and those in my community. It means when I pray, I recognize that there are those that may be hungry among us. We have missionaries with us this weekend who serve many times in places, in countries where their poor wish they were like our nation's poor. The haves in their countries wish they had what the poor in our country have. And that's in, I'm not slamming anybody, right? I'm, I'm pointing out that when we pray, we need, to, we need to expand our prayer life to begin to pray for our daily bread. And so if you had your daily bread today, our challenge is this. Most of us, we're not struggling with starvation. We're struggling with gluttony. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on gluttony. And I'm not going to go there right now, but let me just pause and say, most of us, our problem is that it's not that we've eaten or we have today's daily bread. It's that we ate tomorrow's daily bread and we ate next week's daily bread. And we're kind of trying to figure out how we're going to get a couple months from now's daily bread. Or, and we're saving up for retirement for, you know, years and years from now's daily bread. And we haven't even given a second thought to the fact that really what it comes down to is being content. So what Jesus is challenging us in prayer is a confession of contentment. That if God has provided for my daily bread, then it's really a challenge to say, I am trusting God and believing that if I have today's daily bread, then I have more than enough. Maybe you and I wouldn't worry so much if we would just learn to confess the contentment of being satisfied with today's daily bread. 
And when we learn to be satisfied with today's daily bread, then we simplify our spending. We, we stop always wanting more because we've, we've been rescued from the trap and the trick that I am what I have. We've stopped treasuring the treasures that we've accumulated in life and we've stopped defining our worth by our net worth. We've been rescued from that. And when you're rescued from the trap of more, you've been freed to discover the power of contentment. Then the next thing happens, which is this. So Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. If I have today's daily bread, then it leads me to the next step, which is be generous with God's generosity. Give us today our daily bread means if you have more than today's daily bread, God has not given you more so you can have more, but so that you can share more. If you have months of daily bread, now, I'm old enough to remember a time when people were hoarding because they thought the whole computer systems of the world were going to crash at Y2K. And so they were hoarding and saving up not just water, but rock, you know, piles and piles of food and thought the end of the world was coming. And so they had more than enough daily bread, right? If you have more, you don't have more so you can have it, but so you can share it. Our responsibility is this. Let me, let me give you a challenge. Some of you, you you've, been, you've been very good with your finances. And you have a responsibility to be good with your finances. And there's nothing wrong with planning ahead. By the way, don't walk away from this message and go, Patrick's telling me just to give everything away except the one loaf of bread that's on my shelf. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to be content with your daily bread and then share what's above and beyond your daily bread by being generous with God's generosity. What that means is this. Yes, plan ahead. Sure, pay off your debt. Plan to pay down your house because you're, you're a slave to the master of debt. Let me challenge you. Many of you, you're planning ahead. You're just not planning far enough ahead. Not just how are you investing for retirement, or for your kids, you know, college fund, or how you're gonna pay for that next vacation. But have you thought far enough ahead to say, I'm gonna plan for eternity. I'm gonna invest into forever, which means this, what Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. It means anything that's beyond today's daily bread, I am entrusted in order to give it, in order to share, in order to serve others, in order to help be the answer to the prayer I just prayed. Here's the deal. When I pray, give us today our daily bread, it means that I must also be willing to be part of the answer for others' daily bread to be met. So absolutely. As a church, as people who believe in Jesus, we give to the poor. We give to feed the hungry locally and globally. We, we give to the work of missions locally and globally. 
It means that we are about, you know, soup kitchens and providing clothing for those that don't have sufficient resources. It means that we are about, you know, there's enough resources in the local church to meet the needs of the community and far beyond. Absolutely. We give because when we pray, we have to also be willing to be part of the answer to the prayers we just prayed. So when I pray, give us our daily bread, am I willing to be part of the answer to God meeting your needs? providing for your daily bread? Are we willing to give in such a way that we're willing to give to the needs in our community, to our nation and beyond? So yes, that means we give what in biblical terms it refers to as the tithe. Some of you now, you're like, oh, it's one of those churches. I'm never gonna apologize for encouraging you to give because it's a little bit like prayer. You are too busy not to pray. God has been too generous for us to not give. It's part of why within Lifehouse, we give and we give and we give. That's why we have a cafe that we don't let you donate to. We just give because we want the first experience somebody has when they come to Lifehouse to be experiencing our generosity because it's not about us. It's about, we're simply a conduit of God's generosity. So we want to give you a gift as a first time guest. We want to provide food for you. We want to provide resources. We, we want to let you know that there is a generous God that loves you above and beyond. And so we want to simply be the expression of that generosity. And so when you give to the church, you're giving so that the church can become an expression of the generosity of God. And we're never going to apologize for encouraging you to give. But can I encourage you to give on your own? Not just to the local church, but to those in need. Give above and beyond to the church, to kingdom builders, because we are the response of God to the needs around us. And God powerfully uses the local church to respond to those needs. And I promise you, there is no better place than you'll, that you'll ever give than through, to and through the local church. I firmly believe in it. This isn't just, you know, us being patronizing. I truly believe that Lifehouse is an amazing steward of the kingdom resources that you've entrusted to us. I believe there's probably no better investment you can make than to and through Lifehouse. Can I, can I just challenge you? This, this message wasn't about just trying to get you to give. It was reframing our focus helping us to seek differently when we pray, to begin to pray, give us today our daily bread so that I first come to a place where I say, God, I trust your generosity. Then, because I trust your generosity, I'm gonna be content with the daily bread you've given me. And anything above and beyond my daily bread, God, you've given not so I can have more, so I can give more. Live on less so you can give more. One of the phrases you've heard me say, is we respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity. Some of you, this is gonna transform your life right now. You've been, you've been choked by your own want and you've been strangled by your own desire for more. And simply believing in Jesus by faith is gonna set you free from living in a world of want because now you're stepping through the open doors of God's kingdom where you discover that the king above all kings has taken responsibility for you. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray over you, but really what I'm gonna pray over you is that God loosens your grip on want for more and frees you to become a generous person. Would you allow me to pray for you? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us and you've taken personal responsibility for us and that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have access to your kingdom. You've taken personal responsibility for each one of us who believe in you by faith. And so God, right now, there's, a, there's some tight fists within LifeHouse. There's guests that have just started coming and they, they've got a tight fist on their stuff. And it strangled them. It's strangling their family. It's strangling their hope and their faith. God, would you begin to, by your spirit, loosen their grip? and turn them into people who are not driven by greed, but generosity and are able to find their value in the worth that you've put on them, not in their net worth. God, I pray today that right now there would be a a freedom that would come from recognizing that you've given, you've met our every need, that you are more than enough and anything we have above our daily bread, God, you've given us more so we can give more. Help us to be generous people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from LifeHouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.